This is Tom Fox. Over the next several episodes, Professor Karen Woody and myself are going to take the Woody Report in a different direction. We're going to take a look at the great HBO series Succession Season 4. We're going to dissect it and give you the synopsis. And then Karen and I are going to talk about how it fits into the cultural milieu, what it means for securities law and other laws as the Logan family goes through its throes of whether to have succession or not. I know you'll enjoy this series. In this episode, Succession Season 4, Episode 1. This season begins months after the events in Tuscany and 48 hours before the Gojo acquisition. Logan Roy celebrates his birthday in New York, while Kendall, Shiv, and Roman are in Los Angeles to propose a new media startup to investors. The siblings learn that Logan is attempting to purchase PGM again and decide to launch a rival bid. They meet with Nan and Naomi at the Pierce's California estate. Nan is indecisive, yet at the end of the day, quite manipulative about competing offers from Waystar and the siblings and is able to engage them in a bidding war. The kids ultimately persuade Nan with a $10 billion offer, after which Logan is forced to concede. Shiv returns to New York and finds Tom at the apartment they no longer share due to their trial marriage separation. While Tom wants to have a conversation about the breakdown of their marriage, Shiv tells him she wants a divorce, which, of course, she wants as painlessly as possible. So, Karen, what were two or three of the top themes in episode one for you? Well, there are a lot of themes that come up in this, you know, first episode of the final season. Um, The first one, this is sort of chronological in some ways, but the first one that really jumped out is this idea that the kids are, you know, pitching about new media with sort of, as they even call it, the corpse of old media that, you know, obviously comes up in in the first episode that they end up trying to pivot back to, to try to take over Pierce. So I did think it was an interesting, you know, point where you see a lot in the beginning of this episode, what to me feels like a pretty obvious dichotomy between new, fresh, young media, sort of the next generation and legacy media. And I, that feels kind of obvious even in the way those two beginning scenes are set up with Logan's birthday party and you have a lot of people in sort of vintage Chanel looking suits versus sort of the hipper faster moving vibe that the student that the kids are in when they're talking about trying to launch the hundred so that was one thing that came up though ironically they end up sort of again retrenching back to the old media when they decide to buy Pierce that was one Obviously, the Tom and Shiv relationship idea and the theme that comes up in this episode as it comes up in every single episode of this entire show is that everything personal is business and everything business is personal. I mean, you can't un, uh, entangle or untangle those ideas and those concepts. And you see it over and over in this show. And it comes up again in this episode and then in future episodes, I'm sure it will be this idea that they can't separate their emotional impulses from the business impulses and how those things sometimes are in alignment and sometimes are not. 
But obviously there's, you know, a pretty spectacular scene with Tom and Shiv in this episode um, that where you see that, you know, sometimes personal issues maybe sometimes went out or that they creep to the surface and they try to, you know, keep it back in a personal realm, I mean, a business realm. And then finally, I think the other thing that comes up here, um, which ironically is where this show started in season one as well, and the name of the show, which is this existential crisis that Logan has, this idea of what is the succession plan? And he even, you know, sort of waxes philosophically in the diner with just his basic bodyguard about why we're here and what is the meaning of life kind of idea that maybe his birthday triggers some of these thoughts. But so this, you know, acknowledgement that he is, at, you know, at getting closer to the end of his tenure, certainly as the CEO of Waystar. So those three themes percolate up and I think we'll keep percolating up throughout the season. Yeah. So I also thought the Shiv Tom uh, dynamic in this this episode was great. I know we're going to focus on the ending scene a little bit more, but I wanted to talk about when she came in and after Tom had called her to say, just wanted to let you know I had a drink with this woman. That woman happened to be her brother's ex-girlfriend. And she goes off on this tirade about how it is more from having a drink to basically had sex under the table and, you know, she, uh, Tom was two-timing her, and she couldn't believe this. And and the actress who plays Shiv is just phenomenal because she's spouting this faster than a New York minute, and it's coming out of her mouth. And then then she starts to calm down and says, "Well, maybe not. Maybe they just had a drink." But she's still very irritated. Right. And at first, I thought she was irritated because it was so public. And he was sort of humiliating her. But I, then at the end, I, I'd had a different view, but I was really intrigued by that. On the on the hundred, um, at, that was a really interesting. But what struck me there was uh, Roman in his own way, Rom, he was really engaged with the consultants who were putting together the media campaign. And I guess I had really not seen his business acumen as well before there there's something up there, even if it's very twisted, <laughs> um, but he, he does have some snap. And so that really struck me. The other thing, two other things were Logan Roy and how lonely he was in this episode. And it was just, it was almost, I don't want to say pathetic, but it was almost painful to watch him and his birthday party just sitting there by himself, either talking to Carrie or kind of inside his head and with an interior monologue almost. And then the dinner, yeah, I guess you would call it the dinner in the diner with the bodyguard. I almost thought of a line from Driving Miss Daisy where Daisy says to about her black chauffeur, he's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Well, I almost felt like Roy was saying to his bodyguard, you know, you're not my best friend. You're my only friend. Right. And of course the bodyguard, he knows better and he's maintaining professionalism and just listening. But uh, the look on his face when Logan Roy said that, um, and then of course he goes back to the birthday party and we have some interesting scenes there. 
But then Nan Pierce, um, I thought she just stole this episode. I mean, she was inimitable. Terry Jones, you can't do better than her. She's great. So great. And she's the head of the the Pierce family with the Pierce Media Group. Mm -hmm. And Logan has, I suppose that's supposed to be the Wall Street Journal. And Logan has always wanted it. It, it, it's the cream of the American business journalist uh, crop. And the way she plays the kids, I thought was just masterful. They fly all the way out to meet her in their, you know, 2000 acre vineyard estate. And the furniture is very plain. It's nothing ostentatious. They're dressed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, a couple of people with a little farm or vineyard, I suppose. But she first, she has a headache and they, you know, they have to send the daughter back to see if she'll see them. And well, she's, she's feeling a little better. She'll see him. And then she says, Oh, I just hate talking about money. It's just so distasteful. <laughs> and I have a, I have a buyer and, and so I appreciate it. I love seeing you kids. And so they, you know, pitch out a number and it's higher than the number they had wanted to start with. And then they have to sort of caucus. And um, I, I thought their caucus, not how they came up with the number, but why they came up with the number, which is let's just knock it out of the park. You know, let's overextend ourselves. We'll figure it out later. Let's go in and make a statement. And actually, I thought that was some pretty good business acumen if if you're trying to do all the things the kids were trying to do. And then she maneuvers them, you know, what comes after nine? Nine A? <laughs> you know, nine A one. Right. <laughs> and she gets them up to ten. And and I don't think they, you know, even knew what had happened to them. No, I think uh, they were completely played. And then she goes on this long soliloquy about, you know, she really doesn't like uppity expensive wine and she likes the screw top caps. So, but she'll give them a bottle if they want to take it with them. Right. I just love that scene. That was great. That was excellent. And I, you know, there are a couple, I think important, like takeaways to like teaching points for those of us who are in that space from that scene. Because the kids pitched to her initially that this they would be more of a culture fit. So it, you know, of course, harkens back to me from like the Paramount Time Warner cases where, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they have to answer to certain board members, they have to have this be approved and that it's a fair price, all this things. First you have the price question, but one of the ways to maybe fend off a potentially hostile takeover is to have sort of a very clear plan that this offer was not in. The, the trajectory of the company, that there's sort of a better uh, roadmap that the company was planning to take. And so this offer was too sort of outlandish. That's sort of the paramount time discussion about the corporate plan and the offer from Paramount didn't, didn't fit within time's sort of media plan. And we saw that again, I think, although it wasn't used, I was sort of surprised it wasn't used in the Elon Twitter takeover, sort of how they didn't say this is not the direction we want to take this company. But, you know, this idea that sometimes it's not just the dollar amount. Obviously, that's probably going to reign supreme. But there is this pitch of why their culture will match up more with the Pierce legacy media. And, you know, that Logan really just wants to destroy her. There's sort of 
they even there sort of pepper in some of the emotional things, but even sort of play it up as a better uh, a legacy, sort of, you know, where her company goes in the future is something that she should take into consideration. So those two things sort of struck me as being interesting. And then as you point out, the negotiations, if you're teaching a negotiations class and show that scene, I don't know if that's a successful one at all by the students. I mean, it's not students, the, the kids, because I think the, I think Logan's at like seven, five and doesn't say anything of, above that. And they come and they basically negotiate against themselves up another 3 billion. I mean, it was sort of amazing to watch Nan Pierce wrangle that. But yeah, that was it was a great scene. Um, AOL Time Warner, boy, that was a cultural fit. Uh, <laughs> Money reigns supreme from Steve's case. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you think about the uh, the insider information that went back and forth? It, I've done a fair amount of deals, and obviously you have back channels, whether the lawyers know each other, whether the principals know each other. There's always some sort of back channel communication, and it can be a pressure valve. and can be a safety valve in many ways, but it can also be a way to get information. Did anything about that either surprise you from the deals you may have worked on, albeit at a lower dollar volume, uh, or but – Anything about what we saw is just everybody's talking to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it seems wildly out of place. I mean, I think the Tom Shiv calls are interesting where he's like, what, what's your ceiling? You know, and they both bluff on that a little bit. Uh, so that's not typical. I don't think you'd see that ever happening. I'm trying to think of one, you know, some other sort of power couple. Uh, but I, what I did find interesting, and that's something I kind of had taken note of, were, as you say, these other people, these other people that are somewhat at the periphery, but have something to gain from this. And the, the one that struck me was Telus, this guy that even Roman calls it out when, when they decide to go for Pierce instead of going with 100. He's like, I don't know, does he want to make a 5 million fee in acquisition or does he want to make a 35 or sorry in a in a funding round or does he want to make a 35 million dollar fee in an acquisition like what do you think he's going to tell us to do so this idea of just calling out that there are other players that they are seeking advice from but who have skin in the game and so i thought that was interesting all these other people that um you know are have something to either to lose or to gain of what choice they are advising or what they're sort of saying and he's the one who's like what he says that we're getting a little toppy when we get to 10 billion, but I think we can make it work. I mean, all the language is hysterical because it's, there's so many hilarious euphemisms in this, in this, in this show that, you know, it, everyone sort of plays nice, but it's actually really cutting even on things like that. But yeah, so I actually thought of that as well. Like there are other, there are other people in the room or even in the conversation that um, maybe won't, you know, have, have something to, like I said, to gain or lose. One of the things I've really enjoyed throughout the entire series is the clothing because we've seen, you know, London bond street, some of the best in the world. Uh, and we've seen uh, perhaps the best is the character Greg and his character arc, starting with uh, the suits he wore early on. And now he's an, as Natalie dresser as anyone there. But the biggest clothing uh, uh, part for me was not clothing. It was the accessory of the purse. 
Sure. And so Greg's girlfriend's purse. Uh, my wife was a big purse gal. So I have been around a girl with a very big purse for a long time and, you know, mini suitcase level purse. <laughs> and so for me, that was fairly usual. But in the context of the party, when he brings the girlfriend, the purse stood out and that's going to be one of my favorite lines of the, uh, the, of the show. But how, how, did you see any of the sort of clothing issues as really being themes as well? Absolutely. I mean, the, I, I even read somewhere about whoever's consulting even on these kind of things at the fashion and something that I remember from some previous season, they said, you know, they don't often wear, they don't often have overcoats because they are always, they're never outside. They're traveling straight to a helicopter. It was sort of, it was a funny comment about how this is sort of the, really the ultra, ultra rich. And I felt like that is always a little of the theme here, even with this girlfriend. I mean, she's carrying, as Tom says, a ludicrously capacious bag or whatever the, the line that launched a thousand tweets about that. Um, but it still has, you know, the signature Burberry plaid. It still is a luxury bag, but it's one of those things where it's almost like accessible luxury and the, the Roy's are in a whole different stratosphere. So it's not to say she, you know, showed up with something that's a gap or something on it and no casting no aspersions on gap, but just like she already has a luxury bag, but even that wasn't, was sort of gauche. It was sort of like, Oh, she's, this is not working. So the clothing, as I said, I, I did think the clothing at the birthday party versus sort of the sort of new money startup culture clothing we've seen from the kids and that first scene, that was such a dichotomy. It's such an obvious juxtaposition. Another accessory I thought, to me jumped out very loudly was Shiv's very large wedding ring and engagement ring she's wearing when she's talking to Tom on the phone about him dating Naomi Pierce or whatever was happening. So there are things that I, I think you can't ignore. I mean, obviously Tom called out the bag and the bag became its own character in some way, which was hysterical, but yeah, I, I, I don't think there's much that's overlooked by whoever's crafting and creating the show down, certainly down to the clothing and accessories. And then if we take the clothing one step further, the Pierce family's clothing, when the kids go to meet Nan um, at the, the vineyard, uh, very dressed down. Um, the ex-girlfriend, she was in a, I think a white turtleneck with long sort of floppy slacks on. And then Nan, I mean, that could have been out of the gap. Uh, so, yeah. So I really enjoyed that. It just is working on so many levels. Well, the screenwriting in here has just been as excellent as Ted Lasso. Uh, so what were two or three of your top lines? Oh gosh. I mean, there's so many that jumped out. The ones, uh, I think that are just fantastic were, well, one, I like the description of the hundred, the uh, Substack meets masterclass meets the economist. Meet, like it was just this like mashup of everything. It seems like Kendall could think of at the time that was hysterical. And then in response, there was some point where Roman says, when he's talking to the consultants, he said, I told you to go with iconic. And I think you went with ironic or there are a couple of like just great quips. Um, another one I thought was fantastic was discussing when they were trying to figure out 
if Logan was buying Pierce, like that was what they started to dawned on them that Tom in some ways let the cat out of the bag by acknowledging he went out with Naomi. They start to realize, Oh wait, this is maybe what Logan is up to. And so then they are discussing whether or not, you know, Logan is putting Tom and Naomi together to torture them. And Schiff says, dad is a torturer. She says he's a sociopath, but I don't think he's a good torturer. And not because he doesn't have the stomach, but because he doesn't have the patience. (laughs) I thought that was a fantastic line. And then the last one I will point out is when Greg's girlfriend finally is getting kicked out of the party and he starts to go down to tell her she has to leave and then realizes he doesn't want to kick her out. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to see what happens in Guantanamo (laughs) when he, the bodyguard has to kick her out for posting on social media. So those are great. I mean, another, I will say one last one I did really appreciate was that Shiv's dog was named Mondale. I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> little wrinkle. Great yeah, cultural reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love the line on the bag, which read, she's brought a ludicrously capacious bag. What's in there? Flat shoes for the subway, a lunch pail. And then the line about the hundred is the hundred is Substack meets Masterclass meets the Economist meets the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, that is as meaningless a line as you could have. Yet everybody loved it. And then actually, perhaps my favorite, Monica's not here. She's shopping in Milan forever. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. I have shopped in Milan, and you could do that. Yeah, that's probably right. It's <laughs> probably right. Great. So. Some great themes. It was, I thought it was a great opening uh, episode. I have to say the title of the Munsters, uh, I wasn't quite sure of that. If it had been the Monsters, I might have understood it. But the Munsters, for me, references the TV show. And um, I just I didn't quite see that one. Yeah, I agree with that. And I heard Monsters the first time. And then when I had seen it pulled up my TV and it was spelled that way as uh, as the episode title, I have to agree. I didn't I didn't track where that came from. I might have missed some cultural reference, but I I also wasn't sure what that. And I thought it was going to come back up in some more clarifying way, but I don't think that it did. So I have to ask. I have to ask the people at HBO. Well, Karen, this is great. I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode, which is episode two. So until then, thanks, Tom. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Succession Season 4, Episode 1, as much as Karen and I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. And I hope you will join Karen and I again for the next episode, which of course is Episode 2. I also hope you will subscribe, rate, and review The Woody Report, which features Professor Karen Woody. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.